Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. My name is Elias. I am joined by Rian. I'm just tired. <laughs> I, I've, I'm very I like high energy right now, but I am also simultaneously tired, if that's even possible, um, for a variety of football and non-footballing reasons, mainly because I think I've realized that Barcelona is the source of all mental health issues that I've been having recently. So good to know that I figured that out. Um, but more importantly, I don't know, work's just been busy. The past couple of weeks have been busy, but at least I have Rian to talk to you about my problems as we work through the, uh, the course on amateur psychologists that I'm, yeah. uh, I'm slowly teaching Rian about. <laughs> uh, always that's, here to help. That's my usual. long, long-winded way of saying hello, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. 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 The, that's your way of saying I'm definitely okay. Um, <laughs> it's actually a scream for help but yeah (laughs) uh well i mean hey ellis i mean it was probably a good weekend up until yes until monday so i guess your weekend was fine it was good that barcelona was able to stay away from your birthday and and oh my god as i say that happy birthday i know i've said it already but happy belated oh thank you buddy um i appreciate it yeah it was a good thing that they that they tried not to ruin your day so you got to take the silver linings from somewhere. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I'm so glad they played on the Monday, uh, Monday night for the first time in like two years, because if they had played on a Saturday, I would have, it just would have been ruined. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like <laughs> you going about having a great day and then someone or like you stub like both your toes. It's just like, <laughs> no, it's just, it's shitty. Like there's no, there's no good way around it. It is so stupid how, we let these stupid, stupid games like dictate <laughs> oh, yeah. like my emotional well-being. Um, I know for, for like a whole day, and so and sometimes depending on how bad it is, like sometimes a whole uh, week. Like, yeah, 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 way more. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm happy that as an Eagles fan, uh, Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles fan, like 2018, kind of totally makes everything now kind of like icing on the cake gravy whatever whatever you want to call it i cannot be affected by eagles games as much anymore it's impossible now after after seeing them win the super bowl so yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to get to that point with football teams with the european football teams i don't i don't know why that's harder of a bridge to gap like emotionally right. like it's so much easier in like the american sports like you win and i guess maybe because it's just harder to win maybe maybe because it's harder to win because it's stupid salary cap stuff and <laughs> teams are changing all the time whatever whatever what if you not um, heard financial fair pl- and then <laughs> that was cute that was yeah cute. thank you <laughs> um, but yeah that's probably the reason that's probably it a win in like a u.s sport feels way more rare because it's just such a crapshoot a lot of the time so right right yeah i mean i'm not here to bitch about the eagles or do anything of that sort oh yeah i don't uh, do it anymore yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i I know literally any other sports team other than basically most european soccer teams that's it that's (laughs) all basically we solidified the purpose of our podcast um two years later (laughs) <laughs> that's where yeah. we're at <laughs> yeah and, and i guess i'll say 
the Sixers definitely still affect me in the same way. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess that's, I guess it's all hope. been transferred. I guess it's all been transferred from the angst that I used to have being an Eagles fan to the Sixers now. So <laughs> you want to, you want to talk about it or no, no, but you want to move on. It's other just things? a cycle of pain. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, something that was not a cycle of pain for Rian over this past weekend, um, a team that in the last year must have, Rian riding on a high. Uh, of course, I'm talking about his beloved Blues. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Chelsea Football Club beating out <laughs> whatever is left of Tottenham Hotspurs in uh, in the Premier League at this point. Three um, nil, a game of two halves. Some someone probably say a game of two halves. Um, that's going to be our big game of the week to recap. So, Rian, talk to me about. Let's start with the first half. Right. It's fair to say, I think, objectively, Chelsea did not play as strongly as Spurs in that first half. Yeah, I think you could even. A game of two halves, I think even the first half was even a bit of a like you could segment it off into like the first 20 to 25 minutes and then like the last 20 minutes, pretty much um, where the Spurs started with a really strong lineup. I think that that is definitely the first lineup this season. Um, maybe excluding like their Europa League, uh, Europa League conference. I, oh my God, I don't even know what their full name for it is. Is it the Europa conference? Europa I, cup. Conf- I don't know. I don't know. I we don't talk Europa about relevant conference. things, but, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? Too easy. Too easy of a Barcelona joke there. Elias, I held myself back. Please, I want you to know that. Please, Um, well, doesn't make it better that you said that. All right, whatever. (laughs) But no, this was the first time, at least in the Premier League, that they started in Dombele and Lo Celso at the same time. And granted, in Dombele didn't start for the first few games for like partially injury, partially he thought that he could get a move to Bayern or Barcelona or Real Madrid. Granted. Yeah. He he had to get a reality check at some point there. So he, so he's doing well again, I think (laughs) mentals wise with with Spurs, but that lineup was strong. I son and Kane. And I believe it was Deli Alley. It was the third attacker up top. Um, and then you throw in Hoiberg, Lacelso, and Ndombele. I like that midfield going forward, like specifically going forward, like attacking because the oh, first not, few weeks, not not schedule wise. <laughs> well, well, no, no. I like d- defensively, it wasn't bad, but I'm just like comparing it to the midfield that they played the week before, where I think it was like Skip. Winked and Hoiberg, which was just like three defensive no, yeah, midfielders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Very at least unbalanced. this was this was more exciting, uh, and they started well. Like the press was really really good for them. I think they created a lot of issues for Chelsea playing out of the back. Um, I can really only think of maybe one or two times that Chelsea was able to successfully play out of the press in that first um, like twenty five minutes, but then. At some point, Chelsea started to get a bit more comfortable playing through Tottenham's press, and I didn't go back and rewatch the game, so it's hard to tell if it was has anything to do with 
some switch that Chelsea might have made on the field during that first half or something as simple as, you know, it's hard to keep that press, that team press up for a full 45 minutes even. Like that's just, that is hard to do. So I think after that, it was just kind of like, Chelsea got was able to be more comfortable and maybe had like one or two half chances by the end of that first half. But I, I, I think from that 25 minute mark on for the rest of the game, you saw what I could just like simply explain as a team with better players, uh, more squad, like better squad depth and a better coach. And this is, not rocket science at that point in terms of how this game um, is unless gonna unless go. you ask Pep Guardiola, but yes. <laughs> Largely <laughs> yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't know. At least it didn't feel like any that first half and uh, we can obviously jump into the second half too. I, I think the biggest standout from Chelsea's side of view from that first half was how good Thiago Silva played. And he played great throughout the entire game. But yeah, I think he personally was able to put out a few fires that were caused from um I think that what the halftime sub was needed for was like that disadvantage that Chelsea had numerical disadvantage that they had in the midfield in the first half. And right. I think that Tottenham was able to exploit it, but Thiago Silva was very good at covering a lot of the holes there. Yeah. I, I, that's the one thing I, well, there are two players on Chelsea that I want to point out, but Thiago Silva being one of them, obviously great goal, like sure. But more importantly, the fact that he does not start every game and still is able to kind of jump in and put in a performance like this is just speaks to the level of veteranship, I'll call it, that he brings to this team. Unlike certain people that take penalties against Manchester United, right? Like, we'll get to that later. But I, I mean that very seriously in the sense that Thiago Silva's ability to bring kind of a level-headedness to Chelsea when things are potentially going awry or maybe they don't have full control over a game when they are probably over the last year or so been used to having that sort of control. He is just such a perfect fit for that. And I think you're seeing the maturity of Antonio Rudiger and Andrews Christensen as a result of that direct kind of leadership and coaching because they have kind of an anchor, right? A a John Terry-esque anchor in defense, both qualitatively and quantitatively in, in the help that he gives Tiago Silva gives the team. So that would be one player um, that I would call out. The second would love to, I, I think I know your thoughts on him, but Mateo Kovacic is really starting to grow into this team. Like very, very much starting to grow into this team. And maybe he didn't do you know everything as special as he did in in Chelsea's last game but i'm very glad that he is looking like he's going to be a consistent starter in this side as real madrid history aside <laughs> yeah no i i've been as Elias himself would know i've been a big advocate for him but at least since the i want to say since the end of um lampard's first season and especially he showed he showed a lot of his qualities last season. We know that, but just to, it's such an underrated skill that literally carrying the ball forward 
is and he's so good at it like <laughs> there's this really funny picture uh that that will sometimes float around twitter like soccer twitter which is like a picture of a pitch and it's like the first third is like defending like whatever clearances blah 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 uh the attacking third is like um goals assists whatever key passes or whatever and in the middle is just like a bunch of lines and it's like uh, don't worry ball progress the ball will progress somehow like, L- literally that, literally that and, that's manchester united in a nutshell <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and i think the, the times that i've seen that victor used most is is referring to manchester united but like seriously like that middle part of the field it's really hard to move the ball forward and it helps a lot if you have a player who is really calm under pressure not just passing but dribbling under pressure and um even with the limitations that i think that kovacic does have like in the final third i think he's not he's not perfect at all in that in that area and that's probably like i think the only weak the only weakness i could throw at him but that other stuff is still if you don't want to say just as important as you know what you do in the final third it's like i don't know 80 percent as important at least because i mean that there's there's no substitute for that other than just playing long balls like up, up to a big forward who, and then hoping that the ball sticks to them and brings everyone else in. But um, yeah, no, Kovacic, he's like almost always now, it feels like a seven out of 10 for mo- most games, like rating, like you feels like you're getting at worst, like a seven out of 10 from him. And that's, it was just consistency. He just feels like a more consistent player now than I think he did even in his first season at Chelsea. So um, really happy for him. The, the second half, uh, at least Chelsea make the change. They bring on Conte. They change to basically like a three-five-two, and it's I think it was like Havertz and and Lukaku up top together, where Conte helped to make up the the numbers in the midfield. And from there, especially after Chelsea gets the first goal, Tottenham really never get a sniff again for the rest of the game. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I was saying. It's just a, the gap in talent from just about every part of what goes into a game day like I said the lineup the squad the coach it's hard to be too critical on Tottenham as a team for losing that game the way they did they're just not as good and this goes back to what we've been talking about already for the first few weeks here where the four the four most talented squads have such a gap and have such a huge margin for error it feels like because even Chelsea didn't play at their best in their first in these last two games against Villa as well. When they didn't play at their best in the first half, they were still solid enough in their, for the most part, like individual defending and goalkeeping in, in the Aston Villa game. When you look at what Mendy did in that first half, there's still so much talent there that they can ride those waves. And it's just not a luxury that, honestly, 16 of the 20 teams in the league have right now. And um, I, I think the only criticism I can throw on, on Tottenham there, Elias is Harry Kane. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm confused with how his season has started. I mean, from, from a mental sense, obviously, but um, just to throw some numbers out here that I, that I would love your, your thoughts on, on his start. But Ooh, yes, right yes. now he's on pace for, 
second his second lowest touches per game in the attacking third of his career the most touches per game in the middle third of the field and so far he has four total shots this season in 300 minutes and he had two shots against Chelsea in this game he had zero shots the week before that but even look at the shots that he had in this game it's a free kick and then the other one's a shot from something like 25 yards out right that goes straight at Kepas so at least how much do you feel like this is mental or is it something with how the team plays the, the the one weird thing that I would throw out from this week is that you look at his like heat map and he was on the left a lot sun played through the middle a lot which was a an interesting choice um but I don't know at least what, was your, what were your thoughts on what's your thoughts on Kane so far yeah I guess yeah so I have again as our listeners know I like thinking through things from a very tactical high level view and a couple things about Nuno and his Spurs side that have stuck out to me over the first couple of weeks are a few points that you mentioned, right? Sun through the middle, Harry Kane more so kind of isolated. Um, I'll say, I, I, I'll say his average trend has not necessarily you know been towards left, but certainly between the lower end of the final third and the midfield, right? That's where he's spent a lot of his time on the pitch, but. I've started to notice that Nuno has really opted for pace more than anything. And there's a big emphasis on direct pace forward. And I think there's a reason why we saw Deli Ali start in this game. And I think there's a reason why he's chosen Bergvine in past games, especially on that left-hand side. And that to me is not a coincidence. And I think what he's been trying to do, and, and also Sun through the middle, what I think he's trying to do is uh, derive more vertical game for Spurs, right? Spurs have a history of, I I know I'm kind of generalizing at this point, but they definitely have a history of playing the ball over the top or from, you know, I guess a a wing position cross, right, to to Harry Kane. And that's, that's kind of how they get their goals. And that's how they, quote unquote, win games. More importantly, I think in what Nuno has realized is that Spurs lack the creative players to build through the middle, right? They don't have the ability to build through a Chelsea or a Liverpool or a city, but if Harry Kane can at least serve as a pivot point to take defenders away from the, your wide areas and through at least taking a center back away from, let's say Hungman son running through the middle, that is so much better and so much more advantageous for them on the counter or when they're going more direct, because then you're at least putting yourself in a more advantageous number scenario um, when you're in the attacking phase of play. So I think that taking Harry Kane and moving him to a more deep position or deeper position is very much intentional. And I don't think it's a mental thing. I don't think it's, you know, Harry Kane sobbing over his lack of a city move. I think it's actually very intentional from Nuno. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I think, I think interestingly enough, outside of um, letting him go for like the financial reasons, like just getting that hundred million, which they are definitely not going to get for him <laughs> as he gets older. That's right. That, that, that was the time to cash in if there was one. Um, but I also think about it from the sporting sense where you see how they attacked 
um, during that first game against Manchester City and and more or less the themes of how they've tried to attack um, so far this season. And you said it perfectly. It's pace. They've been trying to go with pace. And I, I know that it did work last season, um, at least for the first half of last season with, with Mourinho, where you know, Tottenham did look to just hit people on the counters and transitions, right? But it, it's it feels like if they had just let him go and took the money and then built this team to be more, more transitional, more quick at the front, which, which as great as a technical player as Harry Kane is, it just feels so far like it's not the best mix with how Nuno wants a team to play because Harry Kane over his last couple seasons at least has tried to be more of like that false nine and like I'm going to drop deep into midfield to help things out and stuff and it just feels like it doesn't mix that well with what this team is trying to do. And so I, I just wonder that's if that's fair, by the way, I, I didn't yeah. mean to, I guess, insinuate that Harry Kane is a false nine or that he's a good role for <laughs> someone playing as a 10. That's not what I'm saying. I just, I'm saying, I understand Nuno's point about utilizing other like forwards yeah. and wing players. Yeah. And, and, and he's, and he, he's playing to more or less like what, what Harry Kane is seemingly seemingly prefers now because he himself has even said, you know, I don't think of myself as just like a number nine or whatever. Like he, he, he likes to think of himself as having like a more all around game, which, you know, he, he showed last season that he does have more of that. His, his passing is, it has gotten better throughout his career. So I don't fault him for that. It just now feels like the fit is not, is not very good. I don't know. As, as much as, him and Hungman Son's relationship seemed so good last season. It feels like whether it's just beginning of the season or, you know, Kane missing a decent amount of training time early on, they don't feel remotely on the same wavelength, um, like tactically, specifically tactically. Like it, it just doesn't feel like their movements are in tune with each other quite as much as it was last season. But it's still very early. And I, again, I'm not going to take, I don't think this game was a lot about Tottenham not being good. Um, I, I felt like this game was more about just the gap that there is between these two teams right now. And, and even, even at what seemed like Tottenham's best possible starting 11, um, it still just wasn't enough to, to make Chelsea pay it that way yeah yeah and again it goes back to your point better coach better players and better bench uh in chelsea so i think with that rian let's move on to your first question of the week i'll let you ask a a very pointed question for very specific reason (laughs) uh yes well (laughs) at least we um over the summer, we it felt like we learned something that almost every manager would now have at the back of their mind and consider um, 
in certain game situations now. And it's the thing that we learned that I thought we learned, maybe you and I just learned it. Maybe everyone except David Moyes learned this is that there is obviously some unquantifiable, but definitely obvious added pressure that is brought on when a player who has not played the entire game is subbed on in the last couple minutes purely to take a penalty. Uh, in the Euros, we saw it happen with Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho, who came on, I think, in the, with like two minutes left in that final and then ended up taking their penalties. Rashford got a bit unlucky, hit the post. Sancho's was saved. And then this past Sunday, West Ham and Manchester United played, overall played a, a very fun game. And that involved a couple 50-50 penalties that Cristiano Ronaldo could have gotten, but he didn't. And it was more entertaining because he did it because of his reaction. They were not penalties. <laughs> well, one one was, one was, but the other I, was not. Yeah, I, I think the first one definitely wasn't. I think the right. second one second one could have been called. Yeah. Could have been easily. I, like I'll argue that I think he jumped in the opposite direction of where the ball was going. Just jumped for the either contact. way he milked it. He milked he, both. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he I think on another day some a ref another ref calls it and it's really hard to overturn. But West Ham get a penalty at the end of this game. Um, I think in the 93rd minute, a handball from Luke Shaw on a cross, no real argument there. And, you know, I'm watching this game with one of my roommates and we see Mark Noble coming on and I 100% jokingly said, Oh no, he's, he's, don't worry. He's coming on for the penalty. And then 30 seconds later, I see him actually grab the ball. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, no, okay, no, he actually is coming on to take the penalty. And um, me and my roommate immediately started saying, why? Why is he doing this? It's like almost like David Moyes did not watch any football this summer. Like he <laughs> took the whole summer off from being remotely tuned in to the sport. Um, Mark Noble comes on having one of the best penalty records in Premier League history, to be fair to him. David De Gea having not saved a penalty in literally five years <laughs> yeah, and 40 yeah. penalties <laughs> since then. Um, so naturally, the only way that this could go was Mark Noble's penalty getting saved in the last, in the last moment of the game. And David De Gea is the hero. Um, and we're all wondering once again, what is what is actually the reasoning behind bringing on a player in the last minute, no matter how good their penalty record is? What is the point of bringing on a player in the last minute just to take a penalty? And I I have no answers, Elias. I, I'm wondering if you do. Is there any, like, can you think of any good reason for bringing a player on Specifically in this case, worse than I feel like the England thing where Mark Noble actually came on directly to, to take a penalty, whereas those other guys came on and at least ran around for like 70 to 80 seconds and then took their penalties. But I don't know, Elias, 
is David Moyes just trying to get the England job or is there like something behind this choosing choosing someone to come on in the last minute to take a penalty? Yeah, um, I can only give you one answer, quite honestly, to why I think he did that. And it comes down to emotions. It's like, let's put our most senior player in for the last kick of the game to win or to tie to, to draw against United. That's literally the only thing I could think of. Cause like beyond that it's, and I, by the way, I had a text drafted to you that said he's going to miss. And I never sent it because he missed right as I was about to hit send. And I was like, I was honestly shocked. I was like, honestly surprised that that was the thought process from, I would argue and actually a very good coach. I can't believe I'm saying, but a very good coach. So an experienced coach. I can't, I can't experienced coach. Right. And to answer your question, no, I really can't think of a justification beyond that. So I've got, I've got nothing for you. That's going to (laughs) help. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, Look, I, I, let's just say this, like, then if it ever happens again, it's going to be almost, like, inexcusable. Like, what is the – someone's actually going to have to ask these this manager. And I need to look up if someone did ask David Moyes about it. But either way, United get out with their three points there and kind of keep ticking along. And, you know, someone – I forget which podcast I was listening to. But someone made a funny comparison between this United team and um, and those Real Madrid teams of like the like six, five or six years ago in the sense of this team has a lot of talent. Definitely. It doesn't really you don't, can't really quite tell how they actually work together. And yet they somehow find a way to get points in every game. And I know we've talked about it before. A lot of it is just they're so good at finishing. And Jesse Lingard even came up with a great, great goal um, to win it for them this weekend. And I don't know. Like I said something about them. They're just they're just relentless. They're just kind of relentless in the in uh, the attacking sense. And they got it. They got away with another one here. And and now we ask the question again: is like, how long can they keep getting away with it? It's like that meme, you know, they can't keep getting away with it. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but... It's a full on, full on like Jesse breaking bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, <sighs> take some near top of the table. Can't really complain about that. If you're a United fan, I don't have much say on United that unfortunately will make them look bad. So I, uh, I must take a break and I must, calm myself (laughs) before I I get just pissed off about the team so I will be right back all right Rian let's talk about the next question that we have up because I'm done with United let's talk about a team that we really in my honest opinion could were we it's my question so i'll just say it were we too hard on arsenal where have we been too hard on arsenal they are looking like a competent team sort of question mark right they've now racked up two wins in a row 
obviously the city loss was just hilarious. But since then, two clean sheets, two goals, two wins against, of course, relegation battled sides, but a win is a win. So, Rian, were we too hard on Arsenal? I I really enjoyed that you you threw this question into like our our outline here because it is something I was thinking about at the end of this weekend or especially after their game um against Burnley and it's almost more like the expectations of the teams this season, especially the big clubs, it's like we almost have to tier them into like three, like two or three different tiers, right? Because we went into the season not giving Arsenal a real chance of finishing or any chance of finishing in the top four, right? Like zero, right? And we said, and more like an, an outside chance of finishing fifth or sixth. And from there, you know, they started the season so, so poorly, right? And they bounce back a bit with two one nil wins here. And I think a lot of people are kind of feeling like, all right, they'll, they're going to be, they're going to be okay. They're not actually like, look, they were never going to be relegation candidates. Like that, that was funny to joke about obviously, but like, that was not real. Like there's too much, there's just too much inertia is the best way. like too much talent inertia that, that it's just not going to allow them to finish in even in the bottom five or six, right? So it's now about like, what do we define as like, as fine for them? As, as what, is, what is okay for Arsenal at this moment in time? Because I found myself saying, I, I think after the Burnley win, I was like, okay, I think they're going to, I think they'll be all right. But all right for them at this point is not, it's not really it's not, it's not it, the all right of 10 years ago yeah. yeah like like i look at i look at you know city's draw against southampton and and even their loss against tottenham from the first game and i also said i also felt like okay city will be fine they're gonna be okay but for them that means yeah they're probably gonna be like, they're gonna be in the race like third <laughs> they're gonna be like third at worst yeah, like that that's yeah. like what they're gonna like okay is for them um it, it's different for this arsenal team though right because Cards on the table. No surprise that this team looks more competent with Gabrielle, Thomas Partey, and Aubameyang in there instead of what we saw in the first week. Instead of you know Pablo Mari, instead of Granite Xhaka, and instead of like Eddie and Ketia playing up top, right? Like, of course that's going to be a better team, right? But <laughs> that being said. 18 shots allowed to Burnley this past weekend is not really signs that you're moving in the right direction. As great as that free kick from Martin Odegaard was like a wonderful, wonderful free kick. Like we have to say that, of course, Um, as great as that was, it was 18 shots, a season high for Burnley and Burnley only registered at least 18 shots twice all of last season. And that was against Brighton and Newcastle. So it's, there's levels to it. As I think you said before, Ellis, there's, you like to say for 
for things like there there are levels to like these expectations yes, and yeah use and, my phraseology <laughs> and and i will go as far as saying maybe we were a bit too harsh on them in the beginning and i, I feel like i did say you know they'll get some players back and it'll look better um but again it's about what is okay like what what is what does that mean though like we we were too harsh with them so we thought what they were going to be like 12th and maybe then now they'll be like eighth like i don't know yeah, what does that mean yeah i am really glad also that you kind of put this in the context of what like okay means now for arsenal because i don't think in the last several years arsenal fans have been able to accept or wanted to accept like that there is a new level of normalcy for them. Like there just is it. They used to be a team six years ago that was in the champions league. Now they're far from the Europa league. And again, it it is about levels, but to recategorize what normalcy means for Arsenal now, probably Europa league. That's probably their best bet. And a part, a part of it is as well, their competition, right? Like, we have talked about how the top four teams in England are so far superior from everyone else. So it only does make sense that again, logically their best shot is Europa league, but even then that's a stretch, right? The Arsenal are very much a mid table team. And I think that we need to accept that. I think we need to ingest that and sit with that as reality. So in terms of being okay, yeah, I, I actually would agree. I think we were a little harsh on Arsenal. They did not have the players that you mentioned back. Thomas Partey being a big one. Gabrielle probably being even bigger, right? Those two specifically really, really made a difference in the last, last two games. But being okay for Arsenal is just no longer the same thing, unfortunately. So if they were to make the Europa League, I think that'd be better than expected. If they did not, I think that would be the expectation. Um, not that it should be, but it will be. Yeah. And, and so you can point out that there are definitely signs of encouragement. You look at, again, how well Martin Odegaard has played, at least at least, at least in these couple games back. Emil um, Smith-Rowe has been pretty much the most consistent player for Arsenal so far this season. Um, you know, Bukayo Saka is getting... I think back up to form. So like, there's reasons to be hopeful, but you know, the question is like hopeful of, of what, and that's what we're trying to figure out here. Like this still feels like a team that at absolute best, if things, if things break in their way, best case scenario feels like they finished fifth, but like 20 points off of fourth or something. Right. Like yeah. Th- yeah. that would ex- that would have to necessitate like a f- a huge drop off from like Tottenham, or but most importantly like Leicester. Like it would it would facilitate a huge drop off there. And honestly, I'm just I'm still not sure if this team squad like is better than Leicester's or Spurs still. And um, granted, we're, we're going to get a good idea of that this this weekend in the, in the North London derby, right? But I don't know. It, it, it's it's not all doom and gloom for Arsenal, but you know they. I'm sure a lot of their fans also realize there is a definite, obvious, like very, um, very easily seen ceiling to this, to how good things can go for this season. But I think they'll be, they'll definitely benefit from no midweek games, and 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the other that, thing I didn't think that's, about. That's the, uh, another silver lining. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for Arsenal fans, it will be a while until you are back in the Champions League reliving Tuesday and Wednesday nights, especially at the rate that club ownership is going. So it's a stark reality. And the sooner you accept it, hey, the better your mental health would be. Take it from a Barcelona fan. So with that, Rian, let's move on to our final question of the evening. And it is your question, so I will not steal it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this one is it's somewhat similar to um, my question last week in, in La Liga, where you know we saw, we've seen like a surprise start to the season for um, Athletic Club Bilbao. We've seen a similar, very, very um, surprising and unexpected start to the season for Brighton. And not necessarily in the sense that they are fourth place after five games, but more at how ruthlessly clinical they've been in front of goal so far. They've got four wins in the first five games, 12 points, sitting in fourth, just a point above uh, Manchester City, or two points above Manchester City, actually. But the, the funny thing is seven goals from 5.3 XG so far and winning games where they did not create the most of the chances. That that is what feels new to this. And, and so, as I said, say with this start to the season, uh, how, how excited are you? getting about Brighton who feel like a team that is finally cashing in on like that good karma that they've had the last like two years of of creating the better chances and still finding ways to lose games <laughs> in the funniest way possible um how, how are you feeling about Brighton so far I cannot stress enough how much I enjoyed the Brighton Leicester game this weekend like I full disclosure I did not watch the first half of the uh, West Ham United game because I was like, you know what? I want to watch how Brighton do against a team like Leicester. And watching the first half of that game was just spectacular. Like, they fully had, uh, A, a penalty that was deserved, and chances galore in that first half. To, like, it just felt like they were overwhelming Leicester at some points. And I think that was more of a microcosm of, the fact that Brighton have just been very clinical and nothing else has changed. I have not seen that much of a difference in the way that they defend, the way that they progress the ball. If anything, I would say their progression of the ball has gotten better. Now, of course, I'm not as much of a statistics man as Rian, so you will simply have to take my word for it. But the fact that they have scored seven goals from... 5.3 xg is like it, it, it's like completely turned their forwards on their heads like it's i can't even fathom what has gone down in their training sessions to change how clinical this team has become and the only the only thing i could potentially put this down that put this down to is the fact that maybe it's two things one i've noticed that their forwards are finding more space between themselves and the center back. I don't know how else to qualify that 
other than the fact that I feel like they're maybe a little pacier or a little bit more on the mark than last season. Cause last season was quite literally just a finishing problem. Like it, it, it just purely came down to that. That's all it was. I feel as though their forwards have just been sharper in everything surrounding the finishing of the game. Obviously their finishing has improved, but it's building blocks. It's becoming, you know, more, more, more mature strikers beyond that. The other thing that I think could think of is again, it should be noted that the teams they played Burnley Watford, excuse me, Everton, I think Brentford outside of the, the Leicester city game, all of those, but Everton are probably teams that Brighton can compete with, or if not, I would argue better than maybe Brentford being the exception right now in form, but yeah, that's, that's all I've got. I mean, it's, it quit and really just come down to that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I like your point about like the space that the forwards are finding. It does seem like they're, they have been a bit sharper in the box that, that is like, I think they're seemingly finding that extra inch of space to get the shot off. Whereas I feel like a lot of times last season, they got into those positions and a lot of the times their shots would just be blocked sometimes like yeah they couldn't create that yard of space from the defender to actually get the shot on target or get the shot um towards goal so i I, i'm totally with you there and i really liked how uh cucarella played this weekend too and and he was he was a standout yeah yeah yeah. and i'll allow like at least you can give like a a little scouting report on him or or the type of player that uh, cucarella is Oh, 100%. I mean, he is essentially your quintessential left wing back um, who sometimes forgets that he also has to play left back, but came through the Barcelona system. And and one of the players that I really, really think that Barcelona should have kept, um, he is very, very smart on the ball. And that's not like the Spaniard in, in him. It's just, I think he is a very astute and aware player. And you saw that, especially as he found himself in a lot of the, like the left midfield spaces in this game um and was able to play the ball you know centrally and it opened up a massive amount of space going through the middle for brighton against leicester yeah and, and with you like he really stood out to me during this game and yeah I, I think i think we can get excited about it now for 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 uh brighton and I think grand potter himself said you know we've won these games but we haven't really dominated any of them and and that for Brighton, I think is a good sign because they just didn't win games that they couldn't really dominate the chances <laughs> last season. And I mean, even the last two seasons. So I still have belief that this is going to get better and they're going to get back a bit to last season in terms of being able to control games a bit more consistently than they did this weekend than they did against Leicester at least. Um, cause that second half was, there was, there was those two, um, disallowed goals because of the offsides were kind of weird. Um, where Harvey Barnes is like standing offside, but like, it didn't seem like he really affected the goalkeeper very much. I think yeah. those are going to be goals no matter what, but that's something that I think Brighton missed out on a lot too last season is just getting some luck. Like they, I, I feel like they were pretty unlucky at times last season. So even if it's like riding your luck, which they have done so far, like that's an improvement for them. And 
yeah, we'll see how it goes the next few weeks for them. Because as you said, they played Watford and Brentford and Burnley already. Right. In their next six, they play Arsenal, City, and Liverpool um, in their next six games. So, yike. There's a test. There's the there's the <laughs> there's real your test. test. Yep. Yep. 100%. So, Brighton, I think you still have a very bright future ahead. See what mm. I did there? That wow. was not planned. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think with that, Rian, that wraps up the questioning portion. Any any team of your choosing that you'd like to pick as we round out that really, really yeah. impressed you this week? Yeah, I, I think um, you, you named them earlier, actually, like a couple of minutes ago. Brentford's win against Wolves this weekend. Wolves, who had started the season really well, and we were already calling them like the new Brighton because they were having <laughs> a terrible job finishing, even yeah. created um, really good chances. They didn't do that so much against Brentford this past weekend. And I would say specifically, I was most impressed with Ivan Tony, who's come up from the championship. I think he had 30 goals last year for, for Brentford's. There, I think it was 30 goals and like 10 assists or something like that. Like a, a crazy something wild, year. yeah. A crazy year for uh for Brentford. And he has a goal and an assist in this game. He he ends up winning the foul for the penalty, scores the penalty, and then has a really nice assist to uh Mbwembo. Um, for the second goal and he even you could see it in that first game against Arsenal it was like he's a very confident player on the ball and he he's their striker and then he's really really a good focal point for that team and um, not just all on him but they look like another team that feels a bit like Leeds last year not in the same playing style but in a sense of they've come up and like okay this already feels like a team that might've been in the Premier League for the last like five years, right? They, they seem, they seem comfortable already. So impressed with Brighton, impressed with Ivan Tony specifically. Yeah, no, I think that's a great shout. I personally am not going to go for, um, I guess one of the quote unquote small guys in, in the Prem this weekend or this week. I think I did that last week, but I'm going to have to shout out Liverpool. Um, I, I just feel as though the relentlessness of this team is just something to be extremely admired. I, I, I will say I feel bad for Diego Jota, who probably should have scored in the one massive, massive chance and then got hooked towards the, the end of this game before Liverpool went on to win 3-0 against Palace. But I feel like we've talked a lot about Chelsea. We talked a lot about City. And especially we talked about Chelsea in the context of could they make a run now, you know, towards a Premier League title. But we've somehow in some ways like forgotten about Liverpool's results, right? And how consistent they've been. They have scored the exact same number of goals as Chelsea. They have the same exact results on like each game day as Chelsea. They are very much in this title race as well. And I think that that should not be forgotten because more importantly, with the return of Virgil van Dyke, guess how many goals they've conceded this season? In in the uh, Premier League, at least. I'm gonna say I'm not gonna count the Milan. One. Game. I'm gonna think one. Bingo. One. Yeah. They conceded one goal, and that was funny enough to Chelsea <laughs> in the game, yeah. of course, that saw Reese James get sent off. So with that, Rian Liverpool, my team to uh to really impress this this week. And yeah, Mo Salah. Yusadi Omane both getting on the score sheet gives me pride as a as a man of African descent. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah no no i love that i love that shout because i i think you're right i think people for whatever reason have like almost forgotten um just how good the liverpool starting 11 can be like we, we didn't see it for 30 plus games of the 38 game season last year right but this team like you said is relentless and you can feel the relent- relentlessness again um even this weekend was the first start for i think Konate in the premier league and he looked pretty comfortable playing next to very much like. so yep so um yeah i f- i am very interested now because i've I feel like after this weekend, five games is still not enough to really judge. I'm not not going to say any overarching um, predictions here, but if we're looking at the teams who have shown their flaws and and how easy it is to easy or hard it will be for them to overcome those flaws, I think you look at Man City who drew with Southampton this weekend, and where it felt a lot like their games from two years ago, where they obviously have a lot of possession. They look still, I mean, they didn't look like this really at all for most of last season, but they look more vulnerable in the counterattacks now than they did for most of last season. Yeah. Um, Southampton probably would feel a bit unlucky that they, that that penalty was overturned. Um, Kyle Walker had had a foul, I think it was Armstrong or uh, Che Adams, but um they kind of get away with it there. They could be a bit, and I don't even think they could be aggrieved. They almost get a, they get a goal in the last minute, but it gets overturned for offside. But overall, like City didn't really create anything until Kevin De Bruyne came on the field. And that feels, that feels like a potential issue going forward. We look at a real weakness that we can say for City right now through these first five games is they have not done well finishing. Um, and last season, their, their best goal scorer was Ilkay Gundogan, but he only had 12 goals and where the team has not really changed outside of that. It's really about, can we rely on those players to score as much as they did last season? And I think that's a more difficult question to, to, uh, answer, if anyone can do it, it's Pep Guardiola, of course. But <laughs> we so we find ourselves saying that a lot. Recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I, I will always have faith that he can figure it out. But at the same time, he can't. He can't make the guys finish in front of goal. Like, I, I don't doubt that he'll be able to get them into positions to get to uh, make the chances. But it's the scoring part, which is where I, we see so far that Chelsea and Liverpool. And and Man United to to their own in their own way as well, like are finishing at a very, very high level and doing it when they're necessarily not even at their best. And that's that feels like a slight difference to um what we've seen so far from Manchester City. And and that can change at any point. Of of course they it can who knows? They can get they can click and get on a big hot streak of, of scoring, but it feels hard to uh Remin- reminiscent that. Yeah, yeah, reminiscent of a couple of years ago. So yeah. And the only other game I'd point out, um, Villa's getting a big three 0 win against um, yeah. Everton and Leon Bailey, the reggae boy, um Jamaica national team member, uh getting getting his first Premier League goal. Um but 
yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it for the weekend there. Norwich lost again. They lost to Watford, and they look uh, they look pretty much the same as they were two years ago. So yeah, nothing's changed. There, I was <laughs> gonna say, I don't I don't know if you have anything <laughs> like, really, really to say there. They just seem that they seem the same, and they seem like they might be everyone's like you know when everyone's having a bad run, and they see Norwich on the. On the schedule, that might be their game. Everyone's game to get back in form. So yeah, well, hey, Putin sad. scored, so you got that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much else, but yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, that right wraps up the Premier League portion of the podcast for the week. We'll be back. Do we have to talk about La Liga this week? That's a that's a partially <laughs> tongue in cheek question, but also I really don't want to. But I, I guess we'll talk about that in the middle of the week. So. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys.